Welcome to the Are You Menstrual podcast, where we dive deep into all things women's health to support you on your healing journey. I'm Amanda Montalvo, functional and integrative dietitian, also known as the Hormone Healing RD. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to keep learning, check out the podcast Patreon, where I share a bonus episode with additional downloadable resources each week. You can go to patreon.com forward slash hormone healing RD or check out the link in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley. They're sponsoring us again this week, helping me bring you a lot of consistent and free content. So thank you, Paleo Valley. I was thinking, I'm like, ooh, what am I going to highlight for the reflux episode? And um, I was debating because it's tricky. It's not going to work for everyone, but they have an apple cider vinegar complex. This has been one of their products for a very long time. Um, I mean, as long as I can remember using them. So like probably at least like five or six years. And uh, their apple cider vinegar complex is great for digestion. It can also be helpful for blood sugar. Now, apple cider vinegar is not great for everyone with reflux. So make sure you listen to the episode before you run and purchase it. Um, but the, the actual powder, the pill form I found works for a lot of people that struggle with reflux more than using apple cider vinegar before a meal. Um, but for some people that can be too triggering. So listen to the episode, think about the kind of reflux that you may have and if it would make sense for you. But if someone has been looking for some sort of more natural digestive support, obviously you can use apple cider vinegar. I usually recommend like one to two teaspoons and diluted in a little bit of water before meals. But you could also take the Paleo Valley apple cider vinegar complex if you're like, I don't like the taste of apple cider vinegar. Um, It's a really great one. It's something that I was going to do like digestive enzymes and stuff with my daughter, but we ended up, I ended up going that route instead because it's really hard to find good digestive enzymes that are in stock right now. The brand I wanted was in stock. So I was like, I'm just going to use the ACV complex. Um, so it's a great product. Uh, you can utilize it before or after meal too to help with blood sugar support. Apple cider vinegar has been shown to improve that, but I did a whole episode on how to support digestion. And one of the things I talked about was ACV. And it's a great one. It can naturally stimulate digestive juices. It helps enzyme support. It's great if you struggle with bloating. So you don't have to have reflux to use it. But I was like, this is a good one to bring up for this episode because one of the things that people commonly try is apple cider vinegar because they think they need more stomach acid. And sometimes we do but sometimes we don't. So make sure you're, it's appropriate for you to listen to the episode. But if you have been looking for more natural digestive support, definitely check it out. You can go to paleovalley.com slash hormone healing RD. And whenever you purchase with that link, it helps support me. The podcast makes it so I can consistently bring you these episodes. And thank you again, Paleo Valley for sponsoring this episode. I have an amazing episode for you today with my very good friend and colleague, Michelle Shapiro. She has been on the podcast before. We did a really great episode on anxiety in the past. And today we're talking about reflux. It's an important one. I cannot tell you how many questions I get about reflux. It is a very prevalent issue. We talk about how a lot of reflux, not all, we go through all the different types Um with the nuance around it. We talk about like high versus low stomach acid versus stomach acid getting displaced, which is a very important concept to understand if you are someone that is struggling with reflux. Um, I think that 
it's very confusing because if you look at the conventional medicine world, they talk about having too much stomach acid and they're constantly trying to lower it. If you look at the functional medicine world, they're talking about how most reflux is because of low stomach acid and trying to raise it. And it's kind of like, well, what do I do? Maybe you've tried more functional strategies and they make your reflux worse. And you're like, but I thought I'm supposed to increase my stomach acid. There's a lot of nuance there. That's what we get into in the episode. I think it's a, an important one. There's a lot more we could have gone into. I will absolutely have Michelle back. I think we're going to do a whole episode on histamines and mast cell activation because that is a huge root of reflux for a lot of people. And I think it's a big part of reflux in pregnancy as well. We discussed this more in the episode, but I hope you enjoy this one. If you have never met Michelle, if you didn't listen to the other episode, she is an integrative functional registered dietitian in New York City. She's helped over a thousand clients reverse their anxiety, heal longstanding gut issues and approach their weight in a loving way. She has a virtual private practice where she helps clients work one-on-one towards these goals. She's also the host of a really good podcast. I had been trying to get Michelle to do a podcast for years. I was like, you need to do a podcast. She's an amazing speaker. I'm like, you're the person that needs a podcast. So she finally started one. It's called Quiet the Diet Podcast. Highly recommend it. I will link it in the description below. Um, And the main focus there is she's helping listeners bridge the gap between body positivity and functional nutrition, heal their anxiety and panic attacks, and approach all health in a nuanced and compassionate way. And there is no one more compassionate than Michelle. I love her. I know that you will love her. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode. All right. So let's just get right into defining what acid reflux is, since that's going to be the main focus today. What is the main focus today? And Amanda, not only have we had so many professional conversations about this, we've had so many personal conversations about this too, which we can totally touch on. So in ways of reflux, what we are classically thinking of as acid reflux is acid spilling from the stomach into the esophagus. So When we think of acid reflux in a kind of conventional allopathic medicine sense, we always think of it as having too much stomach acid. So we think of taking PPIs and drugs that either reduce the total amount of acid produced or um, acid output. So that is kind of the classical definition of what we think of when we think of acid reflux. What we've seen a lot, I think, in the in the functional medicine world, very correctly, um, in some ways and other ways we're going to nitpick a little bit, is that acid reflux as we know it is actually generally driven by too low of stomach acid and not having enough stomach acid. And we can talk, of course, on this podcast mechanistically about what that looks like. But um, there's kind of a world in between where sometimes yes. um, it's too much stomach acid that's causing you symptoms and sometimes it's too little. And because that's something that we got a lot of questions about was like, oh, but when I try to, from a functional perspective, when I try to increase my stomach acid, it makes my reflux worse. So is it really low? Is it really high? Like what's kind of going on here? Um, Let's go through some of the symptoms. That was the other thing. A lot of people, I had a few people will answer the questions on my Patreon, but they were asking about like, oh, I didn't know that like this like hunger kind of pang feeling is reflux. I didn't know that like a nausea could be reflux. So can you go through some of the different symptoms of reflux? Yes. And I also want to add to my definition, by the way, I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this that I'm kind of getting reflux. (laughs) I'm so excited about talking about reflux that I'm burning up inside. I can't wait. And we can also talk about how excitement or anxiety can cause reflux. Yeah, we are going to talk about anxiety and like reflux too. So exactly. But I'm just burning up to talk to you anytime, Amanda, obviously too. Um, 
So the other thing I want people to have is kind of this visual of the stomach as being this like vat of acid. So if we picture our gut being a vat of acid, different things, different hormones, different um, interactions with the body, different food types, when they go into the kind of our, our stomach, think of it almost like if it's half full and you throw a, a hamburger not chewed up into that acid, it's just going to really sit there because there's nothing corrosive enough to burn it up. So then what will happen is bacteria will come and feed off of the leftover food that's there and ferment. And that can cause that gas. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that gas can push the walls of your stomach out, which then makes that distension and then pushes up because it has nowhere else to go. And mm-hmm. then that's when the acid starts pouring out. When you think of, again, acid reflux, we often think of, oh, is it that it's too much acid spilling everywhere? Uh, maybe. And, and often we think of it being either too much or too little acid. But what we want to start to think about is, where is that acid going? Because that's what's going to cause the symptoms. And that's the reason I kind of draw this visual for us is whatever is is driving the reflux is what's going to be showing up as a symptom. So if someone could have kind of these really random and weird symptoms from reflux, um, it's a a great pretender acid reflux because it can look like a lot of different things. The most classic symptoms we think of are a literal burning in the throat. Mm -hmm. And I can just tell you from professional experience, I have like no clients who even get that, right? Like it's so rare. To My pregnant, I would say symptom. pregnant clients, it's usually because your yeah. belly's so big and everything's being squished. And like you're saying, it's it's more that it's getting displaced. than anything. Exactly. And it's getting pushed up into your throat. So we literally yeah. think of that. And then another thing that we hear a lot is that raspy voice from people and that mm-hmm. experience of, I have a lot of clients who get a lot of chest pain from reflux mm-hmm. too. And then this very distinct symptom I talk about all the time, which is, it almost feels like there's a little elf inside of your stomach who's trying to claw its way out and it's like gawing at you. So the, the word gawing really comes to mind. Yeah. Have you seen that with your clients too? That almost like, feeling? like a hunger. Like they it think is like it's almost like a hunger feeling. And that's like when I, when I hear that and especially pair with nausea, I'm like, that's reflux. That's most likely reflux. A hundred percent. The nausea is a huge symptom too. So there's a couple reasons why the nausea happens too. A, because acid is touching the nerve endings mm-hmm. and that just causes like a real nervous system response, um, a real emergency response too. Um, Emily Fletcher, who created um, the Ziva method of meditation, actually in her book writes about how if we were running from a tiger, one method that our body has to deal with that stress is to acidify our body. So to push acid out um, so that when a a tiger takes a bite out of us, they're going to think we don't taste very good. Um, And then I want to take a second bite. So it's really interesting from this evolutionary perspective too. But a lot of the symptoms we're seeing is the displacement of that acid. So again, nausea is a really common symptom, distension. Um, I have clients who get back pain too. Again, where does that Mm -hmm. acid end up is always the question. Um, Back, Upper back pain, chest pain, um, shortness of breath is very common too. Um, and again, it's that this, the acid is either going somewhere it's not supposed to and burning there. And then a lot of mucus comes to the site. So people get a lot of sinus issues when they yep. have reflux too. That's really common. And then that hunger thing's really interesting, Amanda, because again, it's touching those nerve endings, which is really uncomfortable. And then what happens is when there's an empty stomach and our, and it's inflamed with acid touching it, what we want to do really badly is cool it off. And I think yeah. eating gets things to start moving along. I'll notice people have reflux if they find that they eat really large meals and then they feel hungry almost immediately after. Yeah. And then I'll also notice if people are really aversive to protein. 
that's when I start to think maybe they don't have enough stomach acid because protein requires quite a bit of stomach acid to break down. And it's the primary site of protein digestion um, in the body versus a lot of other digestion happens in our small intestine. Proteins in the stomach um, is a big place. And we really need that acid to denature those proteins and break them into smaller chains to go into the next stage of digestion. So all of these can be symptoms and they all could seem totally random. But after, you know, working with thousands of clients that we both have, we're like, oh, that's not like a parasite. That's reflux. You know, it's kind of like, it it kind of rings true, um, even though they're all different symptoms. And that's why I wanted you to go through it because it's it's so much more than the burning in your chest. I do think like that cough, that consistent, like Mm. little dry cough thing is really common. Um, Even having a sore throat and not really knowing what it's from. I've seen that a lot in pregnant clients where they may not necessarily have the burning sensation, but they like wake up and they're like, I feel like I'm sick every morning. Like I have a sore throat. I'm like, it's probably reflux. It is. And it's, um, it then also starts to alter potentially immune function. And again, you can be getting more colds or feeling more sick. Um, and it, we'll talk about another kind of what the primary focuses of our stomach acid are, why we need this corrosive stomach acid in our gut too. But I also notice people when they have a very poor appetite in the morning, that could often be from mm. reflux. Again, you're pouring acid out in the night. It's irritating. It's nauseating. Um, and people often will then crave like carbier or sweeter foods in the morning to kind of like, cool it off, I guess is the way I would say it from like, I know that's not as scientific to say, but it's like a feeling of you want to soothe it and you want to move things along basically. So let's talk about this low versus high stomach acid thing. So, and then, I mean, you taught, you did a great job explaining of how it gets displaced, right? And which I think people are going to find very interesting and probably connect with you know, oh, you know, I, I do get that sort of a feeling and when I, and I didn't realize it was reflux or maybe they had like, a lot of people have a feeling it might be, but they can't get the diagnosis or they're just told that it's not. Um, let's talk about what causes high stomach acid since we know that that can actually be an issue for some people. Absolutely. Yeah. So high stomach acid is going to happen. A, you know, intake of food is going to be important in in why our body would be overproducing high stomach acid. If you're eating dense and high fat foods, your your body produces stomach acid in anticipation of food. So um, a lot of times people experience this where they've been vegan for a really long time. I was vegan for over 10 years. Um, Mm -hmm. In my starting to eat protein, I first of all had a huge aversion to protein and then was like, I really don't want it. Um, But your body will produce excess acid um, when you're eating meat consistently and eating higher fat foods consistently to help move those foods along. If you are eating a kind of low fat vegetarian diet, your body actually is very efficient. So it will produce less acid over time. And then your body will kind of kick it into high gear when you reintroduce those foods. Another common reason I see for high stomach acid is having any sort of histamine intolerance Mm. because histamine will act on the parietal cells in the epithelial lining of our gut, which release stomach acid and produce stomach acid. And it will actually signal them to produce more stomach acid as a result. Um, So I do often see, and I know we'll do a different section on histamine intolerance, but that's another reason. I think so um, many people with reflux is it's histamine. (laughs) Like everyone... You know, it's you and I could just talk histamines all day because yeah. really, I, I I just really do tend to agree, and I that is a very common symptom of histamine mm-hmm. intolerance for people, and that is a case of overproduction of stomach yeah. acid, uh, very likely. Also, again, just um, 
it can, in the overproduction category or high stomach acid, it could just also be that your stomach is your, if you're overeating or binging very frequently, um, again, your gut is overfilled generally, um, mm-hmm. and your body to try to move things along will release acid, which will start to initiate that part of the digestive process too. Stress also can cause mostly low stomach acid, but it can also cause overproduction of stomach acid too. Because um, it can cause like a that. histamine response. Exactly. Yeah. And also, exactly. And then the histamines will hit back on the parietal cells and hit back and, and recause that again. Um, so those would be my, I don't know, my missing one for high stomach acid causes. No, I feel like that's primarily, I think sometimes people can feel like they are overproducers of stomach acid if they're very inflamed. That's like the only, sure. but it's not technically like causing high stomach acid, but it's very easy to think you fall into this category if you have a lot of inflammation or gastritis or something like that. That's like, of course, you know, even having a small amount of stomach acid could feel like it's a lot if you're incredibly inflamed. And it's going to get displaced more likely um, if it's too high also. I think the premise behind PPI drugs was like, you know, that when we think of acid lowering, reducing drugs, Mm -hmm. I think the premise was smart because it was like, oh, people are noticing there's acid in their throat and it's burning them. That must be from too much. But I think we really learned over time how essential stomach acid is and how Mm -hmm. we don't want to just reduce it all the time. But I also need to just give a huge amount of empathy to people who have been on PPIs for a long time and aren't sure what moves to make um, if they want to get off of them because there is rebound reflux, which is that once you stop suppressing the stomach acid from being produced, people often get a very high amount of reflux when they go off those medications because your body starts naturally producing on on its own and it's not being suppressed anymore. So it can start running wild and free. And and um, then you're in that hard place of like, well, what do I do? Like, am I, especially if you don't have anyone supporting you, it's like, okay, well, do I continue to, do I go back on it? You know, we're, we'll talk about PPIs though. Um, okay. So that's primarily high stomach acid and we'll get into histamines a little bit more. Let's talk about what causes low stomach acid. I do think a lot of people fall into this category. Me too. But it's not everyone. So can you go into like what can cause low stomach acid? 100%. Yeah. Chronic stress is going to be one of the first Mm -hmm. things I think of. And then Amanda, it's your podcast. We have to say it. Mineral deficiencies are going to cause low (laughs) stomach acid too. Because your body requires potassium and zinc and sodium. Sodium. I'm like my brain right now. I'm like yeah. NA. This is my brain. <laughs> and so, you know, of course, NACL, right? We think about hydrochloric acid. We need that yeah. chloride from it too. Um, we think of the, we need those to even produce stomach acid. And mm-hmm. again, um, stomach acid, much like if we think about our HPA axis, it's something that it gets depleted. The more you need it, the more it gets depleted. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like this vicious cycle. So we, we often think we need to like reacidify because it's very easy to, um, you know, anytime your body also has a huge bacterial fight on its hand, it's going to use excess stomach acid to get that fight going because it might be the first line of action for a food-based toxicant or something like that too. Um, because that's one of the functions of our stomach acid, um, mm-hmm. is to neutralize bacteria. It's also, um, again, to denature those proteins to move them into the next stage of digestion. A lot of our um, nutrient absorption happens in our gut too. So if your body's working overtime in any capacity, it's very likely that you could end up with low stomach acid. Um, A lot of medications deplete stomach acid too. Not only um, those medications, but antibiotics, PPIs, and anything that really damages your gut or your gut bacteria can also deplete um, that stomach acid as well. And then that I think the you know because I work in the women's health space I mean hypothyroidism that having a sluggish thyroid 
I, I say hypothyroidism. I don't think you have to have a diagnosis in order to not have a thyroid that's functioning optimally. I mean, that's going to set the metabolic pace of your body. And so if, if you, especially if you are super stressed, eventually you have that kind of downstream effect from that stress response. Cortisol will blunt that TSH production, which is what tells your thyroid to make more thyroid hormone in the first place. And eventually it leads to this place where you're in and everything has slowed down, which includes digestion. And that's why a lot of people, your appetite decreases because you're not burning as much energy. Your body's reserving that. Your metabolism has tried to preserve that energy. And digestion is a, it takes a huge hit. And then of course, like you mentioned, like it's so important for breaking down and getting that food moving when we don't have enough stomach acid, it ferments. And then that's when we have bacteria that can overgrow. It's moving slower through our intestines. A lot of people can struggle with SIBO and everything. And that's why, you know, supporting digestion can be so helpful for SIBO, but we always want to go back to that. Is your thyroid, how is your metabolism functioning? What's going on there? Chronic stress, all that stuff. Cause I think that is like a huge effect, but those are the people that I see where they often have either histamine issues where they're overproducing or it's definitely being displaced because if we they try the to, conversation yeah, there, if they try to increase it, it, it usually makes them feel worse. And then H. pylori, of course, H. pylori can very, I think if you go to the doctor, one of the major causes of yeah. low stomach acid would be H. pylori. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. very common. I don't think Everyone needs to eradicate H. pylori if you see it on a stool test, unless you're obviously having symptoms, then that would probably be smart. Um, but you can have normal levels of it. And if you don't have a lot of other stress and inflammation in your gut, like you could totally be okay. Um, but that that is another one. So let's let's talk about histamine because this is everyone in the QA pretty much I'm like. Histamine. You know, we have to I wanna I wanna walk us back to something that's gonna bring us back to histamines. Okay. Now everyone listening is mad at us, Amanda, because (laughs) at this point you're like, why are they mad at us, Michelle? Because Amanda, at this point we've talked about how low stomach acid or stomach acid can drive the exact same symptoms. So it's not commonly known if you're going to have, there's no intuition around this, if it's high or too low. So what ends up happening is, is that when people see a functional medicine doctor or they learn online about hypochloridria, right? They're like, Mm -hmm. okay, now I need to pour acid on it. What we need to think about in our bodies is what is like the current state of the fire, I would say, right? So if you are feeling burning in your throat, I'm not going to tell you to drink lemon water right away, right? Because you're going to be pouring... If a fire is already burning outside of your stomach, we want the stomach to be burning hot fire, right? We want acid. It's beautiful. The lining of our gut is perfectly designed to store this corrosive acid. But when that acid goes in other places in the body, it's that's not meant yeah. to go, that becomes a problem. So what really we need to focus on also is, and something we didn't mention, is there's a sphincter between our esophagus and our stomach mm-hmm. called the lower esophageal sphincter. We might call it the LES for this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that strengthen that because if it gets floppy, that's when the acid pushes up, right? And that's when things can go out and into the wrong places. If there's already acid and a fire burning outside of your gut, which you do not want, you can't pour more fuel on the fire. Now, if there's no acid burning at all because you have too low of stomach acid, that's when you can start to play a little bit. So I would say first rule of this game is you can't pour fire on, you can't pour fuel on a fire. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to even a functional medicine doctor who's saying, great, let's take HCL, let's take BT and HCL supplements. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, for people who are listening instead of watching, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, 
it's a it's a very scary thing to be pouring fire when your body is also not secure in holding on to that acid and that mm-hmm. and that is not strengthened the lower esophageal sphincter. So before we even have this histamine conversation, I just want to say that the recommendation across the board to either increase stomach acid or decrease stomach acid is not, you really have to know where's my fire burning and yeah. is, is it safe to introduce that? So this is the trickiest thing about histamines ever, right? Because yeah. like we said, histamines are going to cause more of a stomach acid release. And the reason for that is because it's, again, the body signaling, like we need a little bit more fire to fight whatever is going on, probably. Um, mm-hmm. It's just part of this response. And also because it, uh, again, atta- um, directs the H2 receptors on the parietal cells to release um, histamines and, and vice versa and acid and back and forth. So this was so fascinating, Amanda, with people who had long COVID. Um, so it way, sounds like it's way out of left field. I'm talking about <laughs> long COVID in this context, right? So they gave so many different interventions for people with long COVID. They didn't know what was causing all these random crazy symptoms that people were so unexplainable. And ultimately they ended up doing a trial where they gave people 80 milligrams of Pepsid per day. And mm. a majority of the people had a huge reduction in long COVID symptoms. Like, wait a second. Why is this acid drug that we see over the counter causing help for people in like neurological symptoms for COVID? It seems like so crazy, right? And that's because there's histamine receptors in all the bone marrow of our body, right? There's histamine receptors and I mean, mast cell receptors all over our body, which release histamine. So it's very interesting that an acid reducing drug could help with all these long COVID symptoms. And the reason was because it's actually, in addition to being an acid-reducing drug, it's also a antihistamine. Um, famotidine is an antihistamine, antihistamine. So the Pepsid drug itself is an antihistamine. So in the case of histamines, here's the problem, is that low stomach acid is going to cause more digestive issues, which is going to cause a histamine response. But at the same time, if you're busting out a lot of acid and busting yeah. out a lot of histamines, you got to lower it somehow. Yeah. So, you know, I, I leave kind of Pepsin on the table, I would say, with clients for a very short period of time because that rebound reflux, if your stomach acid gets too yeah. low, is really strong. Um, but that relationship between histamines and acid is so you have to be so gentle with it because mm-hmm. you get if you get too low in stomach acid, you also get those reflux symptoms really quickly. Yeah. So you can't lower it too much. It, it it's tricky, and I have a whole podcast episode I'm gonna link on histamine intolerance 101, where I just kind of go. It's just helpful because you hear. I feel like everyone talks about histamines now. A lot mm-hmm. of people since the pandemic have all of a sudden. Do you not feel like the last three years everyone has histamine issues? I feel I like. That- I feel like all of my clients who never had a histamine issue in their life yeah. have histamine issues now. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And reflux so, too. Yeah. I think reflux is, but I think, and that's why I think a lot of it goes back to histamine um, and having intolerance. We, histamine symptoms, it doesn't have to reflux just for those listening that are like, oh, I, I thought I had these other, like maybe you have like skin stuff. Maybe you have really painful periods. Um, if you feel like you react to every supplement that you take, like totally. we have histamine receptors literally everywhere. So you could have a histamine symptom that's reflux one day and then headaches the next day. We have them in our brain and we have them in our gut. We have them in our, like it affects our nerves, tremors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everywhere. Like you said, bone marrow. I mean, it can affect so many different things. So that's something where we're kind of talking the context of reflux, but of course, like histamine is like very broad. So I'm going to link that podcast episode so everyone knows. Um, And it is really important, like 
you were talking about that LES, right? That lower esophageal sphincter. That can be an issue for a lot of people with reflux when it's not working properly because if stomach acid's too low, it also doesn't work well. It gets like really lazy. When you're pregnant and your progesterone increases, it also typically gets a little lazy. So it's not, you know, staying nice and closed. And then that's when a lot of pregnant women experience like the burning and stuff, um, which is why it can be helpful to lower their stomach acid actually, um, at least like in the short term so that they can have symptom relief. I mean, how many pregnant people do you know that have been on PPIs? Like so many, because they're like, I don't know what else to do because I have this really bad reflux. It's it's so painful and so uncomfortable. Like some people just need that relief too. And I can tell you that if there was a pregnant woman who, and Amanda, if we talk about reflux also, and I know we're going to have a bigger conversation about this from like a spiritual perspective, it's like too much heat, right? Like just so much heat in the body. Like, thinking about pouring on like, you know, what the most energy demanding process the poss- the body can possibly do, the most heat generating process is pregnancy, right? Like this yeah. is a very fiery time for people and it's so much going on in the body. Imagine like pouring acid onto a body that's burning like that already. And people are wondering, hmm, is it too low stomach acid? You're right. In pregnancy, no, there's not a lot of space left, you yeah. know, especially towards the end of pregnancy. And it's a very hot time. Like, I think that's the yeah. only phrase I could use. It's an energy and the hormonal shift, you know, like exactly. the hormonal. I mean, I do want that increase in progesterone. Yeah. I would say sometimes, but I do think like because of the immune system changes that we experience during pregnancy, like that's what led to all my histamine issues. Like your immune system shifts. All of a sudden I had eczema. I had reflux in the very non-traditional sense where I had to eat small meals. I, you know, I had that gnawing feeling, nausea. I think a lot of morning sickness is reflux, to be completely honest. Oh, absolutely. Um, And that's something where it's like when you talk about like sodium bicarbonate or even like I was using a lot of magnesium bicarbonate between meals, like Mm -hmm. in my adrenal cocktails or just taking a sip and that bicarbonate because it neutralizes the stomach acid. So then I found, okay, I don't have to like go, I don't have to eat every two hours. You know, I don't have reflux this time, thank God. Um, But it really, a lot of what happens is like, I think those, the immune system shifts, so many things happen. Like, I feel like, I think I have so many clients that it's like eczema comes back during only during pregnancy mm-hmm. um they don't experience it outside of pregnancy because your body is shifting your immune system is adapting because you're growing a life so i think that pops up for a lot of people um and but i i think that hyperemesis is actually histamine and mass cell. i think it's histamine and reflux i think yeah. it is it's yeah. totally that. you know it's so funny amanda because you know i have been a person who is like you you've been like in many, by many means in a very positive way, like super healthy and strong a lot of your life. And I'm like, not, you know, I lost like a hundred pounds. <laughs> I had anxiety. I had digestive issues. I had all this stuff going on. And we, we really, for you, it was your hormonal stuff that led you into the beautiful place you are mm-hmm. in your career. For me, like reflux was a huge part of my life, you know? So when you were pregnant and you were telling me, you were like, Michelle, what is this? Like, I was like, this is terrible. Like you didn't know. You scientifically knew, but you were, you know, experiencing it, of course, is different. I was like, oh, Amanda, now you have to eat like I used to have to eat. Now, all right, Amanda, are you having your snack every two hours? Because yeah. also what happens with reflux too is if you get too hungry, your body anticipates that there's food coming. So you Mm -hmm. release acid. And when you eat, it makes acid move along. It pushes things down the process. So what happens is then you just have acid sitting there with nowhere to go. So again, if you have not a lot of space left and you have very on fire nerve endings and your lower esophageal sphincter is looser or flappier Mm -hmm. because of the progesterone 
you might need to eat more frequently or something like that during pregnancy. And for you, it was like so weird because you'd never, I I'd never experienced that. that. Yeah. yeah, it was so weird. You're such a meal girly. I'm a snack girly. You're a yeah. meal person. Thyroid health is essential for healthy hormones, digestion, energy, and more. Our thyroid is so important because it sets the metabolic pace of our body, which controls how every single system functions. Whether you think you may have some thyroid dysfunction going on based on symptoms you may have or have a confirmed diagnosis, chances are you haven't been given the best tools to address your thyroid health. I've been there. Thyroid is a big part of my health journey and something I've been optimizing for the last decade. I'm very passionate about this topic, which is why I created a free thyroid training that walks you through how to assess thyroid health, all the labs. I do cover blood work and what the optimal ranges are. I just want to say that I think we have to look beyond blood work when it comes to assessing our thyroid health. That's why I also cover hair mineral testing, urine testing, and then basal body temperature, which is a measurement you can do at home to assess your thyroid health. I've had so many people reach out and say they can't believe that this training is free. I promise you won't be disappointed. I also cover nutrition tips for optimizing thyroid health. You can head to the link in the show notes or to my website, hormonehealingrd.com, to watch the training. There's just so much lacking when it comes to helpful info on thyroid health. So I'm really hoping that this training helps you and fills that gap. But I think a lot that's very normalized in pregnancy, having to eat every couple of hours. And I think in the first trimester, it's kind of like your body's doing so much work. Your hormones are increasing so fast. I, having like some nausea, I think is pretty normal. Um, but I think when it's debilitating, when you can't eat, like I lost a lot of weight my first trimester of my first pregnancy. And I'm like, this is not good. You know, it like kind of freaked me out. Um, and then I figured out how to manage it. You were like bicarbonate do the baking soda. Also, we'll talk about this, but like very teeny, oh. like an eighth of a teaspoon. Um, but that that is very helpful. And I think for people with histamine issues, like you said, it's a double-edged sword. If you have too low stomach acid, it leads to poor digestion, which can your body can then t- see those foods, tag them, want to get rid of them because they're these unidentified proteins. So it can lead to histamine issues. But I think there's a way to find like a happy medium um, and ultimately supporting your digestion in the long term. And we'll talk about like strategies and stuff um, at the end. But Absolutely. the other piece with histamine is stress and the nervous system. Mm. We cannot forget this. And we'll, we'll, I think we can talk about circadian rhythm because histamine has a circadian release. Oh, too. of course we can. Exactly. Yeah. This is, I mean, when I, I joke that mast cell activation syndrome, which is, um, what people commonly associate as like histamine intolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of it as being an, having an allergy distress. That's how I, I joke that it is, which means that's that the so body, good. That's so good. Allergy distress. Exactly. Um, it's like your body is on constant high alert um, from something that's happened, from a deficiency, from an attack, from something that's happened, and your body is is constantly assessing for those threats and trying to do the absolute best it can from that state of that preservation mode, basically. Mm-hmm. So a body that is experiencing histamine intolerance is not going to act anything like a body that is not. And the most frustrating part about histamines and reflux is that what your body needs the most is what it's going to potentially resist the most. Yes. Um, which means that if you, again, need stomach acid because you've low stomach acid, your body might produce an insanely high output of stomach acid from that. And it might not feel very good when you're doing it. Or something, again, with histamines, like, you know, oftentimes people with histamine intolerance really require vitamin C and B vitamins and all these things for liver detoxification, which will help, right? 
And ultimately, when you take them, they can cause terrible. massive response, <laughs> yeah, histamine responses. Yeah. So it's like our body does this very funny thing where like the thing that we need might not feel good. And I think yeah. this is really important to talk about with reflux because even if you're having low stomach acid and you need acid, it might not feel okay to take yeah. that acid in. And that's not what we're hearing from functional medicine doctors, I think. I think what we're hearing a lot on social media is like low stomach acid, take some acid. And I'm like, but if you're burning up and your throat's killing you don't do that because you need to cool it off first like you said with the bicarbonate so certainly um histamine reactions beget histamine reactions um and so you have to really with everything with reflux and histamines you need to go so dramatically slower than you think you need to go with any protocol you're doing but it's It's the only way it's the i truly feel it's the only way otherwise like you know, like I've had clients that they try a supplement to support their immune system because it's usually completely depleted at that point, right? You're, by the time you get to that point where you're like hist- histamine symptoms constantly, mast cell activation, your your nervous system is responding to every. Like you're so sensitive to everything around you. You can't just like take a bunch of supplements and follow like some like mast cell protocol, which I see people do. Oh my god all the time and they feel terrible. And I'm like, it doesn't mean that those things aren't going to work for you eventually, but it means that you have to take like very, very teeny tiny baby steps and not be afraid to be like, okay, this is really not working. It's affecting my day to day. I'm going to try to move on to like this next thing. Honestly, I think most people with histamine issues have to work on how they're living on a day-to-day basis, their stress and their nervous system first before they do anything. Uh, Because if you look at like what causes like mast cell activation, histamine release, it's like temperature shifts, like mental, emotional stress, like certain stressors. Yeah. (laughs) Literally like any physical or mental, emotional stressor could cause that activation. And it's like, that means your body has no resiliency left. Like you said, like you're allergic to stress, which I will forever be using that. I will credit you. Um, but it's, it's truly like, it's like, so how can we look at this? Like, I think people want like, what do I do if I have histamine related reflux? It's, I would, that's like the number one, the first thing. And then I have a tidbit on light exposure because we'll talk about their circadian release. Yeah. I really want to talk about that too. Oh my gosh. It's so interesting. um, You know, what people who have, you know, uh, I, I think that I have a very special piece of my heart for reflux sufferers or histamine um, intolerance people, obviously, because I've been that person, yeah. but also because I just, um, there's a very special type of person who usually encounters these things. And I feel like, I mean, not that it's, I'm not stereotyping, but um, I have seen a lot where it's the type of person who really bears a lot of responsibility for the world on their shoulders. And they're Mm -hmm. very likely people who have done so much for others and are constantly so protective, I guess is the word I would say. And it ends up just like you hold stuff in you and then anything that's coming at you is like too much is is kind of what it feels like it's like a feeling of too muchness so our inclination is like when i first you know got diagnosed with mass cell activation syndrome i was like i'm going to get an iv of 10,000 grams milligrams of vitamin c 10 grams of vitamin c i'm gonna you know i was like i'm gonna get (laughs) b vitamins and by the way i did it and whoo did it flare me and i was like i'm gonna just get it over with you know And, and um that's kind of the opposite approach i would recommend for people with reflux or for histamine intolerance because it's really about um bringing your body back to that state of balance and and that really means creating like it's so silly to say but like peace within your body so 
you kind of have to baby your body in both of these situations, which is really frustrating for these type of like very high energy, hot headed, you know, I'm like not hot headed in an anger way, but like we carry the heat in our body, yeah. you know, passionate people um, who are passionate about protecting others there. That's what they want to do is um, just kind of bulldoze things. And really it calls for us to kind of eat like a baby bird, like you eat a little bit here, then eat a little mm-hmm. bit there. And you kind of have to eat slower and you kind of have to pay attention to how you feel. And it forces people to do what's the hardest thing in the entire world, which is really like slow down and look inwards, which, um, Anytime you're doing either of those, you're also doing, you're impacting your nervous system, which is then affecting your release of stomach acid, affecting your output of histamines. Um, I really think the whole name of the game is always, you know, in our world, the nervous system. For you, it's the nervous system and minerals. Um, yeah. And I think uh, it's really that, but the nervous system and minerals are so interconnected, yeah. as you talk about on most episodes in your podcast, of course, anyway. But um, I think it's really a call in both of these cases to slow down and introduce things that once didn't feel foreign to your body, but for some reason right now it feels foreign to your body, which could be food, you know, something yeah. as simple as that. And to prioritize yourself. I think that's like, I have a lot of moms that are clients that have mast cell, like severe mast cell issues. And it is in reflux is always a symptom, usually paired with constipation and having to take supplements upon supplements upon supplements for years just to have regular bowel movements. Because uh, of course, you know, low stomach acid is also yeah. going to have a huge impact on bowel movements and constipation and everything. So it, it's in like when they start to prioritize themselves, one, it's incredibly difficult, um, foreign, right? It didn't used to be, but it is now because they have multiple kids. Um, and But it, they they really are. They're like the nicest sweetest most, most generous people, people you'll ever meet yeah. yeah they just don't they it's a refusal on our part to take care of ourselves it's a refusal it's like i can't i have to focus on the baby i have to focus on all yeah, these things yeah. like uh it's the people who are relentless in their pursuit of helping others to be honest with you who are going to end up with the worst cases of these oh things. my so gosh i know i have a special place in my heart for them because i think it's very protective people and you know i think a lot of people associate anger with reflux which is like chakra wise, like kind of makes sense. Our solar plexus, right? Like we associate and we hold it's, but it's really, for me, it's like a holding things in and holding Mm. things like really passionately, I think is where people end up with reflux. And that would follow from a biological perspective too, by the way, that actually makes sense. Um, And then if we just think also when it comes to reflux or histamines, think about our posture and our musculature, right? reflux like you know we're so used to eating we eat hunched over and we're shoving food in our mouth especially those people who are too generous right and i know people listening are like shush michelle okay leave me alone right (laughs) the people who are focused on other people you eat head down scrunched over your acid's going to be pouring into your throat you're smushing your stomach together and all that acid's coming up so we have to think about physical positioning and also again that position where we're hunched over very protective position right we think about opening up our arms and opening up our hearts a little bit um and to ourselves really um Mm -hmm. and then it becomes a little bit better so reflux without a question and histamine intolerance, the first thing I'm going to ask people is what is your posture and speed of eating? Because Mm. we can't force this process. And we think also about our digestion as being like almost like a river, like things go from the top and then they go down and through. It's a very complicated process. But anything like you said that stops the flow is going to stop other parts of digestion. And that's where we get into the constipation and pieces of digestion like that too. So what's happening in our brain is where digestion really is going to start. And we think of it in the mouth. I think of it in the brain and then how things move downwards from there. 
I love that. And we'll get into more strategies. We're going to have to like go so fast through some of this stuff so we can do the Q&A really quickly. So last thing on histamines, there is a circadian release of histamine. So like around five to six in the morning, around 1 p.m. ish, 12, 1 p.m. And then around 7 p.m. And when I share this with clients, they're often like, oh, yeah, my symptoms are often worse around those times. I also think for histamine people, they tend to like wake up at like three or four in the morning. And it's not, it's a lot of people associate with liver, which of course people with histamine issues have liver issues, of course. It's it's the the primary site. Yeah. I think primarily they're waking up because they're having their, their circadian rhythm of their histamine release is off. And so light exposure, and I have a whole episode coming with Carrie Bennett. You guys are going to love it. And she's the one that I learned about the circadian rhythm of histamine release from. Um, I was like, whoa, this makes too much sense. It like hurts my head. Um, cause you're, cause then you think of, you think back of all your clients. I think of back of like when I was pregnant and I would wake up at, like, like three or four or even postpartum before I did all that gut work. Cause I was like, you know, I had a newborn. I was like, I'm not working on my gut right now. That was like when my histamine issues hit like a peak and I was waking up and I'm like, I don't wake up like at night. Like this is not cool, you know? No. And it was like, my nose was running. I was like congested. I definitely still had some reflux stuff, which is probably why I had sinus stuff. So it, it's just like very interesting when you start to think about that release too and how, okay, if your circadian rhythm of your histamine releases off, how is your, the rest of your circadian rhythm? How is your biological clock? And then that's where light exposure comes in and what that looks like for you. And so like anyone that has like reflux issues, do you think it might be histamine related? Make sure you listen to my next episode with Have Carrie. Because that was one on one episode, which is fantastic, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I've heard that, it a million times. That's yeah, a it's absolutely. a that's like a one where I'm like, we have to cover this because so many people talk about histamines and they don't really understand it. Um, okay. And so then I want to mention really quickly on that too, because damn, we still have so much to go through. I, <laughs> I, I got to say the word mus- mucilaginous yet, Amanda. Oh yeah. We, didn't, we have so much to go through. Um, I notice very much in my reflux clients with or without histamine intolerance, that 5 a.m. is like ultimate gnawing hunger time. Mm-hmm. That's when people are noticing that the most. And when they're gonna, that will then lead to what they're not realizing is if they're having a lack of appetite in the morning or they're having only a preference for sweet foods in the morning or mm-hmm. nausea in the morning, it's almost always reflux in those cases. Yeah. Um, and I definitely notice 5 a.m is like that gnawing time. 5 a.m. Yep. is that gnawing time. And for if that, so that's like, because I think people are going to be like, how do I know if it's histamine related? I would think about that. Do you have specific times yeah. of the day when your reflux symptoms are worse? And if it kind of lines up with what I just went through, I would say that's probably, probably Can more Can I give a hint too on yeah. that? If, if you're wondering if there's maybe histamine involvement, mm-hmm. I would look for other symptoms outside of the ones mm-hmm. we named. Like if there's a dizziness, if there's um, any kind of like uh, disorientation, if there's any kind of um, numbness, leg tingling, um, heart rate changes, those kind of things are usually not yeah. only reflux related. And I think a second place I might look is histamines there too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because again, nervous system, it's like literally yeah, exactly. <laughs> nervous system reacting. Um, okay. I feel like we talked plenty about pregnancy uh hiatal hernias i'm like how do we not mention it so can we do that quickly reflux stuff we have to talk about yeah Yeah. so uh, again a hiatal hernia is a a functional order disorder that would happen where you're wrapped around your diaphragm there's like a little loop um and that will also push acid up one thing i say for people this is 
absolutely not medical or nutrition advice or diagnostic, but if you do notice a tenderness when you press on your rib cage anywhere, I would just see a doctor about that and make sure just to rule out if it's a hiatal hernia or not, because that's one of the most common causes of reflux where if Amanda, if someone's dealing with their histamine issues and someone is dealing with their um, reflux issues, stomach acid issues, and they're still not getting any better, it might be a physical function issue Mm -hmm. too. It might be the shape of the stomach and, and that little knot that's created. Yeah. And it just messes with that sphincter, that LES. And so that's when you can have those issues. It's like my dad had reflux forever, forever. And we tried, again, we tried all the things. I was like, I know he has low stomach acid, like from forever. And I think that he probably did, but he was one of those people that like, it didn't matter what we did. It was definitely a hiatal hernia. And his yeah. chiropractor was like, here's how to I know a chiropractor it. corrected mine too. A yeah. chiropractor literally got in there with his two fingers and t- untwisted it in, in my yeah. body. It was crazy. Yeah. So it's one of those exactly. things where to see a doctor, if you have your chiropractor, I would, they definitely know what they are something to like consider they may also need a specialty in it by the way that's the only thing is don't let anyone poke around your stomach unless they have a specialty in hiatal hernias but some of them do have actual specific courses they take in it and Mm -hmm. they can correct it manually which is unbelievable instead of surgery yeah and i feel like in the south a lot of them do because the population is older and so they like have no other option it's really common i feel like in the older population but i've seen it in a lot of clients too honestly like young clients so um let's get into symptom relief some of these strategies we talked a little bit about eating smaller meals right and how that can be like kind of like hard mentally sometimes for people but it can be very helpful so what do we think if someone is struggling with reflux like what strategies would you have them experiment with. Absolutely. Yeah. So first of all, again, let's divide the strategies for a second into what we've historically seen. Allopathic conventional nutritionists, not even doctors, will tell you to not eat spicy foods, um, eat really slow, small meals, not eat high fat foods. And basically the goal of like allopathic nutrition is to not annoy your gut and create reflux. That's kind of the the main goal. How do we do that? And functional medicine, of of course, and functional nutrition, we're always seeking to fix kind of the root cause. Where I think, again, we're falling short is that we have to address symptoms when they come up too. So when I think of like, again, cooling, what I was yelling at Amanda about as I'm like, give me a little bit of baking soda. You know, like it's so, because something like baking soda, which is very alkaline, obviously, is going to kind of cool that reaction. Now, if you continue to have baking soda or you continue to have bicarbonate or things that are more alkaline, it could then cause too low of stomach acid eventually. Mm -hmm. So I'd say as a very short-term strategy, I sometimes have clients take a quarter of a teaspoon of baking soda in one, like eight ounces of lukewarm water. Um, That can just really be very soothing for the short term if you're experiencing symptoms. Um, if stom- low stomach acid is a problem, not near which- a meal, guys, not near a meal. Because remember, no. if we lower stomach acid, and not before near your meal- supplements either, too. Exactly, yeah. we need we actually need that acid to break down um, our vitamins and minerals too. So we we actually well, that is a mineral, but and you um, could do need- magnesium bicarbonate if you're like not comfortable baking soda. It's I find that that all, a lot of people already have that. And magnesium actually helps with the structure of the lower esophageal sphincter too. Yeah. So you kind of get a double benefit from doing magnesium bicarbonate mm-hmm. too. And by the way, I. As far as I'm concerned, um, you know, baking soda is safe for many 
um, different conditions, but please check also um, specifically for yourself with your doctor, of course. Um, So that's one thing I would say. Another thing is, which is really popular is, is actually supplementing with mucilaginous agents. Yes, we can say mucilaginous, (laughs) which is basically mucus forming protective agents that you can take slippery elm, marshmallow root. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people have heard of, um, and these you, you, you take as a, in supplement form or powder form or DGL people have heard of a Mm -hmm. lot. Um, and these will actually form a protective barrier, uh, anywhere where the acid's going to the wrong place, but mostly when we think of it, it's uh, along our esophagus and throat. Um, so that will help with a lot of symptoms too. When you have that protective layer also, it will help acid to move more efficiently throughout your system also. So that kind of helps in two ways for symptom relief. Um, and then also, I think, again, eating very slowly in a mm. really good posture is a good... Chewing. Um, it's a protect and chewing your food, giving, basically pretend that your body is down for the count, treat your body like it needs your help because it does and make things really easy for your body. Um, and then also, you know, I think eating and drinking at different times can be really helpful for people mm-hmm. when they're in an episode or in a flare, just because if we're eating and drinking at the same time, the sheer volume of food and liquid in our stomach is going to make it push out and potentially push up. Um, and then also I just, um, Anything that's really supporting your liver and bile production is, which is, you know, you're going to get that information from so many of your episodes, Amanda. Like they're, they, they know where the to look here episode in there, yeah. um, for that too. Yeah. Cause that's going to really help. Like I, I like carrot juice. I like, you know, and I mean, that is the most Amanda, the, the raw carrot is the Amanda Montalvo special. <laughs> um, but I think anything that's really supportive in that way will help. And then also just making sure again, what you're eating at meals, if you are eating spicy foods, just make sure it's matching how spicy your body feels, right? Like if you feel like the gnawing feeling, but you're not feeling the burning and you're like, okay, I want to see if I add a little bit of heat, if this will help. So doing things like taking ginger, doing things like that introduce heat, lemon water can be really helpful for that low stomach acid, just Mm -hmm. not when you're currently actively um, inflamed and flared. Yeah. And I think that's like the easiest way to like, because it's like, okay, well, what do I do if I have, if I want to support improving my low stomach acid in the long term? Like you said, all the being mindful, the chronic stress, figuring out what caused that low stomach acid in the first place. I mean, minerals are going to be huge, right? Especially if you're worried about thyroid health, metabolism, minerals are going to be a huge driver for that. Do you have deficiencies? But we can never ignore like the stress piece. That's typically what has gotten most people there in the first place. Um, But it is, I think it can be this beautiful combination of like, okay, I'm supporting my body for the long term in these ways, but I can still support reducing symptoms in the short term. I think it's okay and honestly essential with reflux to do that because you don't, there can be detrimental long-term effects of struggling with that reflux. Um, and then really quick, because you mentioned the, I know people are going to ask about slippery home and marshmallow and DGL, are they safe during pregnancy? DGL is safe. And that's typically the one that I would recommend during pregnancy. Um, if you have low potassium, be careful with licorice uh that's like the only thing i'll say so if you have measure whether that's pressure too yeah via blood work yeah so you just want to and if you're someone like i get a lot of people in my course that they already have low blood pressure and then they get pregnant and it gets lower like do not take dgl then (laughs) um yeah but that's and again this is why you have to talk with your doctor like people will just order herbal supplements online and i'm like if you're on a medication if you have any health history you really shouldn't do that because herbs are powerful (laughs) They do work. Um, So you just want to respect them and make sure it's like a good fit for you. Um, Okay. Let's talk about the HCL piece. How come it works for some people? 
and how come it doesn't work for others? Yeah, I mean the so again, this is on the functional medicine or side, even a huge bitters or apple cider vinegar because I feel like everyone tries that too. You, exactly. So also bitters and apple cider vinegar are going to work a little bit differently than mm-hmm. um, if you're take like you basically will have people take betaine HCL with pepsin. So they'll have enzymes already in it. One thing we didn't mention is that there's little, if we think of like Pac-Man that swim inside of the acid and these are enzymes and they will help to do the action of whatever we need them to do, denaturing the protein, breaking down bacteria, whatever that is. Um, if uh, we don't have proper stomach acid, those enzymes won't work. So oftentimes people take digestive enzymes to help with reflux. And I'm like, if you don't have stomach acid, they don't swim in anything. Yeah. They're not active. They're not doing, they, they become activated by the stomach acid itself. That's how they exist um, only. So I think people will take betaine HCL supplements. Um, and again, if you are already in a flare, it is going to full, kind of pour fuel on that fire and it is not going to help and you are going to be quite symptomatic from taking it too. So you have to be really careful with taking those acid supplements specifically. Um, and sometimes again, if, like you said, Amanda, if it's not treating the root cause anyway, if the root cause of your low, the root cause of your low stomach acid is probably not just having low stomach acid. There has yeah. to be a reason why your stomach acid was low in the first place. So learning and understanding why, um, again, if the lining of your gut is not solid, it mm-hmm. can really be quite corrosive um, and, and can and can cause some issues for people. But I still use it in my practice. I still think it's fantastic, um, BT and HCL. And then also people take bitters. Bitters can instigate the production of stomach acid and also um, create for that fiery environment for the enzymes to live, basically. But Again, um, if you just think about eating a bunch of ginger when your throat's hurting, like it can help, but it also could burn, you know, on, yeah. on the way down essentially. So it's just being sensible about that and going extremely, tremendously, ridiculously slow with every single intervention you have. I think that's really what's important here. And as you're trying things, noticing how you're feeling, especially with histamine intolerance combined with this reflux, mm. you know, there's a recommendation, I think, for histamine intolerance that if you're trying a new supplement and the dose is like three pills, you should try to open it up and do one eighth of one pill to start with. That's how slow you should go with these things. Yeah. And reflux and histamine intolerance are both calling for slowness. They're calling for detail, attention, compassion, and kindness. So just doing every eating slower, thinking slower, doing everything you can to slow down will really help all of this. And slowing down can then also help you to pick things up as your body garners the energy um, to do these things and gets the proper nutrients from the breakdown of um you know, all the food that you're getting. And I'm trying to think, I'm like, did we cover PPIs enough? I mean, you talked about how they're acid blocking medications, which is an issue because we, it can help in the short term, but in the long term, we need stomach acid because it gets digestion going, it activates enzymes. It's incredibly important for digesting and absorbing our food well um, and keeping our gut healthy. You know, it's our we first- also can't cleave vitamin B12 yes. because of the intrinsic factor issue. Also, mm-hmm. like this is a a lot of the vitamins and minerals we have are from you know directly or indirectly as a result of our stomach part of digestion. When we mm-hmm. think of our gut, by the way, people are often talking about our small intestine, by the way. They're not actually yeah. talking about our stomach, but yeah. our stomach does a lot of really important things too. Or when we think about this obsession people have, which is pretty rational with glutathione and our mitochondria, like our glutathione is made from three different unique amino acids, which have to be broken down properly. And if they go from, if basically you don't have good stomach acid and you can't break down the proteins into smaller structures and um, lines of amino acid, it's going to go into your small intestine and those longer chains. 
And then your body's like, what the heck is that? And that can actually cause like autoimmune responses yeah. because your body is like, I don't, this shouldn't be here basically. So again, another reason why, especially when you're having high protein foods, you have to take it really, really slow when you have reflux because it is, it is energy dependent and it's acid dependent, mm-hmm. um, digesting protein foods. So it's so silly again, when your body needs glutathione the most, um, our body doesn't have enough stomach acid to get it so that eating protein can be irritating to our reflux. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, higher protein foods, as essential as they are, and let me tell you, they are essential. Even if your body's telling you it doesn't want them because of reflux, try to very slowly introduce them. And my hack for people eating protein when they have reflux is try to eat cold versions of it. Hmm. So I mean, like eat like literally, like if you think about rotisserie chicken even, or like deli meats, which like, I know mm-hmm. people are like, oh, they're not organic, whatever that, you know, everyone has their own level of what they think is acceptable to eat, but they seem much less nauseating than like a beef stew. Like imagine yeah. being nauseous and having reflux and then pouring a beef stew into your body. Like that mm-hmm. would be, it's so hot. So choosing proteins, even like a whey protein shake or something like that, that are colder and cooler might be easier to get in while you're trying to build your protein up. If you have no appetite for protein when you have reflux. Yeah. And, and just, I think the other two is like perfectionism, you know, cause I talk about the importance of protein and blood sugar balance and all of that. Yes, of course, but we can't let perfectionism be, what is it? Be the enemy of good or whatever. It's like, you have to try at least get it done, right? You have to at least take, even if it's a few bites. And that's what I tell women in pregnancy that have protein aversions. They usually also have reflux and they probably have some sort of mast cell histamine issue going on. Um, and I'm like, even if it's a few bites, it doesn't matter. It's a few bites, right? And that's where you begin. And then you can work on that, um, further from there. And then last thing we did not, we kind of covered it, stress and the mental health impact on reflux. I mean, our vagus nerve, which we know connects our brain to our heart, to our gut and all these vital organs in our body sets the pace for how much acid to produce and sets the pace for where that acid goes and sets the pace for how long or short it takes food to get into our gut. So again, we can't think of digestion as starting even in the mouth. It almost starts higher than the mouth because the second we see food, digestion mm-hmm. really even starts, right? So uh, that's a phallic phase of digestion, right? Which is in our, in our brain essentially. So anything that is impacting our stress is going to directly impact our digestion. And I, I, I made a comment on Instagram recently or a, I don't know, a post, I think. And it was like, if by the time you're asking, hey, is it stress that's bothering my gut? The answer is so yes. Like, don't even <laughs> think about it. By the time you're thinking about it, it is so that, but it will literally direct the timing and motion of food as it moves through our digestive tract. So Mm -hmm. every single part of stress influences every single aspect of our digestion. So there's literally nothing, the gut bacteria we produce is influenced by um, the stress that we have and what gut bacteria are going to do what and eat what is impacted by it. So every single part of digestion really um, is impacted by our brain and our nervous system. Um, And of course, if we were in, you know, in the most evolutionary biological way, which we always talk about evolutionary biology at least five times out of every episode, of course. <laughs> um, if we think about if we were running kind of from that tiger we were talking about, the last thing your body is going to be interested in doing is going to the bathroom. So your yeah. body will stop or initiate digestion based on the resource and need of the rest of your body. So where's my blood flow need to go? Where does my brain energy need to go? Where do my resources need to go? And in times of 
um, mineral scarcity in times of other types of scarcity. I think that um, we really find that digestion is is an easy way for our body to divert resources outwards as opposed to inwards. Um, and and that's where we need to, the resources need to go to running or fighting or all, all of those trauma responses. And do you find like when, because you work a lot with clients with anxiety, that the majority of them also struggle with reflux? Yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe we didn't talk about my trifecta, Amanda. My trifecta <laughs> is blood sugar, reflux, anxiety. Yes. Um, reflux specifically, because it can influence your blood sugar, you can get this starving, fearful, gnawing pain that definitely instigates anxiety. And also, by the way, when acid is in the wrong place, that's going to stimulate your vagus nerve in a way that's yeah. going to make you very, very um, anxious. It's going to uh, downplay the action of your um, parasympathetic nervous system for sure and hype up that sympathetic nervous system. What I've learned in my 10 years of clients, Amanda, is that a majority of the anxiety we experience comes from our reaction to symptoms. And I'll tell you another just really quick thing about reflux is that when we get really distended like that and we the, our weight kind of goes up on the scale, it's one of the most triggering symptoms that can exist for people because you, you feel like, oh my God, I'm gaining weight. Oh my God, something's horribly wrong. Oh my God, I don't know what to do to fix this. I'm already taking a PPI. So just knowing that when you experience that reflux, just say, hey, these symptoms are really weird and I really don't like them, but they'll pass. I think that's really important with reflux because it's very scary for people mm. um, and absolutely can cause anxiety on its own and anxiety can then cause reflux. And then we get into the fun, low blood sugar reflux anxiety cycle, which we all love to be in. It's so enjoyable. And I just don't think people understand like anxiety is stress. Like it is your body Absolutely. in fight or flight. And that, so that's what Michelle means when she says, you know, like anxiety can cause reflux. It's, it's that whole scenario that you just went through with how stress leads to reflux. So in, but I, and I want to like, I just wanted to point that out. Cause it's like, for us, it's very obvious because we're working with clients and we're in this space, but I think sometimes it, it can surprise people. Like they feel like they're two separate things. It's like, nope, anxiety and stress. They, yeah. Anxiety. One. I think of anxiety as being, um, a higher level of stress yeah. or something where like, but generalized anxiety is just little stress all the time. It so is it's, a stress yeah, response. It's, it's the same. Like in the yeah, body. I would put them in like the category of stress and anxiety being the same and panic being a little more. That's yeah. what I would. Yeah. That's what I would say. And yeah. I also really, again, am, am like calling people to, I think reflux and histamine intolerance are calls back home mm. from the body to say, I really need you to cool yeah. off. Like it's just cooling off in the metaphysical way and in the physical way, we got to cool it down. It's just, it's, it's too much for right now um, in whatever way. And also, by the way, I'm sticking in one little tiny thing, which is that posturally and stress-wise mm -hmm. exercise can cause reflux and can also cause histamine intolerance, um, histamine intolerance symptoms, not doesn't yeah. cause either of these things, but in the short term too, just watch how your body's moving. Again, if you're in a state of stress and you're hunched over, you're stressed about something, think about what your body is doing, right? You're putting, you put added stress in your body and then you're smushing your digestion together. Same thing when we're doing like ab workouts or we're doing, you know, like other things where we're moving around that area a lot, especially if you have a hernia or something like that. Just be mindful of your posture and mindful of your movement when it comes to both reflux and histamine intolerance too. I'm like, are we going to bring this episode to fascia? <laughs> because that's where I feel like it's going. We have to talk about the form, Amanda. We God. have to talk about our form. And then our posture 
it you're it's a pattern for your body and we'll end it here because we have to do the q a um it's a pattern it creates a pattern for your body and we have this fascia that this like connective tissue that layers over that posture so the more the longer that you're in those that that you you're hunched over you know we're all like at our computers like looking down at our phones or like a lot like you're you get that forward neck posture when we are on computers all the time at a desk all the time it's like then that layers on that connective tissue and then it's even harder to get out of those postures but amanda we have to say it oh god you shouldn't have brought this up because now we're going into a whole different thing where's our vagus nerve amanda right running through our neck so of course exactly so you're also pressing on it when your Mm -hmm. neck is pressing forward and that will send signals for your body to do things listen in total summation from the top (laughs) to the bottom your body is working all together. So mm-hmm. anything that influences your brain is going to influence your digestion, right? You never have to ask if stress is a part of it. It is. Factually, it is. It yeah. will always be a part of it no matter what. It is a constant battle of all of ours. The battle of the stress. That is that is always a big thing. And I think, again, when I think of all of these things, you have to think of the interconnectedness. And then I just want to tell people, because histamine intolerance and reflux are two of the scariest symptom sets mm-hmm. you can have. Their bark is so much worse than their bite. I promise you, these are not long-term dangerous. Like don't, don't be so scared by the symptoms. And I promise for anyone listening that no matter how bad it seems and either way, there's always hope and there's always something you can do so that we just listed like a hundred things you can do, but there's probably a thousand (laughs) things you can do. So I just want people to know that even if you've been to doctors and they said, no, you can only take acid reducing drugs. No, I can only help you with mast cell in this way. There's always more. And the answer is always going to come back to just listening to yourself and taking it slow. I love that. So we're going to end it there. If you guys want to get access to the Q&A, we're going to answer a bunch of our patrons' questions in the bonus episode. You can go to patreon.com slash hormonehealingrd. But thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Love you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Michelle. I know we covered a lot. I'm going to have her back on. Don't worry. We'll talk about histamines. We'll talk about mast cell activation. There's so much that we could have covered, um, but I hope that you feel motivated and curious. That's my major goal because it can be very hard to deal with reflux, um, especially if you're trying to implement different strategies and it's making things worse. If you can work with someone, obviously that is the most ideal situation. We do also, we did a bonus Q&A for Patreon where we answered individual questions for, I think it was like an hour. Um, it was a, it was a really good one. She gave a lot of great advice, but you, there's so much you gather in this episode. I would take that, talk with your provider, see if there's anything you can implement. Um, and make sure that you follow Michelle at Michelle Shapiro RD on Instagram. Her website is Michelle Shapiro RD.com and definitely check out her podcast, Quiet the Diet Podcast. You can find it anywhere podcasts are played. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Are You Menstrual podcast. If you want to support my work, please leave a review and let me know how you like the episode. This lets me know like what you guys want more of, less of. I read every single one and I appreciate them more than you know. If you want to keep learning, you can get access to the bonus episode and additional resources on patreon.com forward slash hormone healing RD. I'd love to have you in there. Thanks again. And I will see you in the next episode.